Welcome to the Whitewater Podcast. Stay tuned at the end of the message for church resources and more information about Whitewater. For now, let's dive into this week's message together. How do we put aside our differences and work together? I think we've all seen those uh, teams, like a football team, where the head coach and the quarterback are out of sync and they're actually at odds together. Or, you know, other players on the team aren't aren't working together. They're frustrated with each other. The team is divided and a divided team can't win. Or maybe in a marriage where two people are at odds uh, and it affects the whole family. It affects the, the, the friends or at a workplace where there's something out of sync or like no one's working together. There's not it's not gelling. And so this question of how do we put aside our differences and learn how to work together is an important question, especially in these days. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the Roman outpost city of Philippi, this family of scattered house churches were not the home team. They were a spiritual minority, in other words, in the Roman Empire. And because of this reality, the Philippian church was under a lot of external and internal pressure, causing differences, division, and even conflict. Now, these cracks were not only caused by the pressure, but likely revealed um, by the pressure. While some handled the pressure with faith and love, it caused others to take their eyes off of Jesus and away from working together to build God's kingdom. Now, toward the end of this little book, Philippians, we get to see a snapshot of Paul's response to this in chapter 4, starting in verse 2. I'm going to be reading out of the uh, voice translation that I like to use sometimes. It kind of like jars me out of the ruts I can get into when I read the Bible. So verse two says, Eudia and Syntyche. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but but those are some strange names. But it says, Eudia and Syntyche. I urge you to put aside your differences, agree, and work together in the Lord. Now, these were two women that had been friends that had worked with Paul, alongside Paul, and had worked together to advance the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at this point in this church and in their relationship, there's been division, like differences have divided them. And these could have been like home church leaders who had their own uh, churches that they led in Philippi. and, uh, and, And there's some kind of division that's come between them. Now, Paul addresses these two friends who are in conflict, and he says, yes, loyal friend, I enlist you to please help these women. So he's, he's asking someone, he's writing to someone to help his friends get along. They, they, along with Brother Clement and many others, have worked by my side to spread the good news of the gospel. They have their names recorded in the book of life. Paul is reminding everyone who's in the situation of conflict and division that you guys have worked together before with me. You guys, your, your names are written in the book of life. In other words, you are part of God's kingdom. You're part of God's family. And he wants them to work together and remember who they are. Now, coming out of the many pressures of a pandemic in the world we live in, my concern is that many people have focused on personal disagreement rather than on kingdom agreement or on personal differences instead of working together in the Lord. That's what Paul said, work together in the Lord to build his kingdom together. A house divided will not stand. A team divided cannot win. Jesus is speaking through this letter to the church of Philippi, I think to today, a prophetic word for now. He said, I urge you to put aside your differences, agree and work together in the Lord. 
Strive for partnership. Strive for unity. Work together to build something bigger than yourselves. How do we put aside our differences in our world and work together? We're going to be looking at four G's. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby that Paul writes about in Philippians chapter four. Now, these four G's are not uh, necessarily sequential steps, but they're more like ingredients to like a gospel smoothie that Paul puts together in the blender for us to have a good gospel drink. So let's look at these uh, ingredients, four G's. And the first one is gratitude. Gratitude. Verse four, most of all, friends, always rejoice in the Lord. Have joy, have gratitude. I never tire of saying it. Rejoice. Keep your gentle nature so that all people will know what it looks like to walk in his footsteps, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was caring. And uh, it goes on to say, the Lord is ever present with us. The Lord is near us. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. He longs to hear your requests. So talk to God about your needs and be thankful. See that gratitude. Show gratitude. Be thankful for what has come and know that the peace of God, this peace that's beyond any and all of our human understanding, will stand watch over your hearts and minds in Jesus, the anointed one. See, gratitude is the key to a prayer-filled life. Uh, true gratitude is actually true prayer. prayer uh, prayers of thanks are really you know, us realizing the goodness of God and directing our gratitude, our thanksgiving to God, the giver. Gratitude impacts human beings both internally and externally. Internally, gratitude is the antidote to anxiety, worry, stress, fear, or anything that causes a lack of inner peace. Gratitude unlocks joy, as we saw in the passage. Uh, externally, gratitude unlocks gentleness and peace with each other. Peace isn't the command. A prayerful heart of gratitude is the command. And gratitude will lead to a, a, a guarding of our hearts with God's peace. Gratitude toward God precedes peace within yourself and peace with others. Romans 1.21 says this, Though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor show gratitude. Underline that, nor show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless. Their, uh, their senseless hearts were darkened, and they began worshiping other things. So the lack of clarity, the lack of joy, the lack of insight, the lack of spiritual life and vitality happens when we don't have a grateful heart that's turned toward God, that's expressing gratitude to God. If you don't believe in a creator, you don't have anything to direct your gratitude toward and your thankfulness toward. You know, for anything that's transcendent and beautiful and, and just blows you away, you don't have anyone that you can that you can direct your gratitude toward except maybe yourself. You know, if a baby's put in your arms, who can you be thankful toward other than yourself or your spouse? Where can you direct gratitude for the sense of awe or wonder and glory that you get when you experience overwhelming beauty and goodness? And why do you think humans even have the feeling of gratitude? And why does gratitude matter? Where does, it, where does the, the act of gratitude for something toward someone, where does that come from, if not from God? 
See, I think humans were designed to be grateful. And that's a part of worship. It's part of acknowledging that God is God and I am not. And that's a wonderful thing. Gratitude finds its most full meaning and its best home when it's given and directed toward God, the creator. And humans find a path to their greatest flourishing when they find an attitude of gratitude, not for themselves, not only for themselves, not only for other people, but for the creator. You want to know how to be gentle, joyful, filled with the peace and presence of God? Live a life of gratitude toward God in prayer. You'll become gentle, joyful, and peaceful as God is toward us. I want to encourage you to start thinking of your gratitude toward God as prayer. Anytime that you feel an instinct for prayer, that is an instinct put there by God. And it's worship. That's prayer. And begin praying your thanks to God. I think that's how we can live a life of praying all the time. Anytime we're grateful, turning it toward God. Now, we've all heard the many studies on health benefits of gratitude and thankfulness and getting a gratitude and thankfulness journal, which is so great. Whether you're praying it, you're writing it, you're living it, you're, you're speaking it uh, to people. Um, but when you turn your, your gratitude toward God as prayer, it'll change your life. Second G, grace. Verse eight says, finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth. Meditate, like think intentionally on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy. Keep to the script, whatever you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, do it. And the God of peace will walk with you. I love that idea of God, the God of peace walking with us. Man, I wish I had time to dig into this section. We're doing a more of an overview of the whole chapter, but this section has some really amazing stuff that really gets into the culture, like the Greco-Roman culture and Jewish culture. And, and Paul's really saying, like, don't just stick to your um, to your ghetto of um of culture. Don't just stay in your bubble. Don't just stay in uh, your people group and only be thankful for what you think is good according to your culture. He's saying, learn to see the grace of God in other cultures and other places, even where you wouldn't expect to see it. God's at work um, in people and places and institutions that you might not expect. And look for the grace of God. All those things, beauty, goodness, virtue, praiseworthy things. That's, I would say that's grace. That's grace. Grace is often such a big word that it becomes sometimes marginal or meaningless. So we need to learn to become grace finders. Seeing the act of uh, grace of God in the world, his goodness, his love, the work of his spirit. Um, and grace is definitely forgiveness, but it's not limited to that. It's God's ability to give you vision, ability to give you ability, um, his goodness at work in the world. So we need to be grace finders, not fault finders. Um, we need to be grace finders, not just grace bringers too. Like I've got the, the market on grace and I'm bringing you all the good news. Well, um, I think that's assuming that we have and other people don't and that God's not at work in someone else's life or uh, a community or a city. And God's 
been at work in a community, a city, a family far longer than you have. And I think it's good to come in with the expectation to find God's grace at work and to be grateful for it, to have gratitude, going back to the last point. So that means that we're really learning how to see bright spots. And that's what we kind of call them at Whitewater is looking for the bright spots, not just the blind spots. Recognize the blind spots, but focus on the bright spots. What is God doing? And then begin building bridges and join God in what he's doing. How can you help? How can you partner in any given situation? Um, and it, it takes a lot of the pressure off that you don't have to be the one who's bringing, you know, God's grace. You're not the one who's just bringing the gospel all on your own, but the spirit's already at work and you just get to help cultivate it. When we find the bright spots, we begin to distinguish ourselves as people of light um, by finding the light of God all around us, being defined by the light rather than the darkness. In a world that's full of people who are cursing the darkness, who are super critical or fault finding, and they're, they're focusing on all the blind spots and all the wrongness, when we curse the darkness, we're not pointing to the light. So how could we become people who are known as people who are pointing to the light, not just cursing the darkness. Paul gives us an example of this in verse 10 and comes back to gratitude. So again, this ingredient kind of keeps churning. Verse 10, he says, I could hardly contain my joy in the Lord when I realized you had started to show your care for me once again. Since you had not had the opportunity to show how much you cared until now, I wanted you to know how it, how it touched me, how it moved me. Paul is showing them grace finding in his gratitude. He sh- I'm grateful for the grace that you gave me. This church in Philippi supported him financially, and he wants to thank them for their, for their generosity, for their giving. He celebrates their support of his ministry with gratitude. When we discover grace, we discover gratitude. And we light up. We have joy. I remember even just a few weeks ago, we had just started our in-person meetings at church again, and my friend Tyler was helping set up um, the church, and he brought a big box of donuts, Happy Donuts. It's a local donut shop. It's amazing. And it was like he brought the grace of God into the room, opened that thing up. People smelled it. Everyone congregated around it and just started grabbing donuts. And there were smiles. There were even like yells of joy. There was so much gratitude. (laughs) When you discover grace, (laughs) you discover gratitude. And on a deeper level, um, we've had all these uh, young families, you know, come back to church and return to church with babies that they didn't have months ago. And and talking with young couples about when their baby was born, I, I hear a lot as they witness the gift that was placed in their arms gratitude poured from their hearts. When we discover grace, we discover gratitude. Amen? I want to make sure it's really clear. Gratitude is not grumbling. It's not grouching. It's not griping. Uh, Gratitude is thankfulness. It's a spirit of joy and rejoicing. Um, Gratitude is the antidote to all forms of discontentment, grumbling, grouching, and griping. And in a world where people are coming out of the pandemic, so easy to fault find and find the the problems and focus on our blind spots and all those things. How can we find the bright spots and have gratitude in a way that overwhelms some of those other things? Now, in verse 11, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. 
Like, I don't, I don't need anything from you. I want you to know I'm so grateful. He goes on to say this. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I bet that's a, I bet that's a concept and a lifestyle that many of us would love to have more of in our life. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Middle of the Roman Empire, you know, Paul was beaten. He was uh, mistreated. He was thrown out of town. He's thrown in prison. I mean, he went through all kinds of problems. I mean, this last year, the, the problems we've been through, how nice would it be to be able to say that I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know how to survive in tight situations. I know how to enjoy having plenty, says Paul. In fact, I've learned how to face any circumstances, fed or hungry, with or without. If I can be content in any in every situation through the anointed one, Jesus, who is my power and strength. Contentedness is so important to learn. My friend who's a counselor always says you can't be resentful and grateful at the same time. You can't be angry, bitter, discontent, and grateful at the same time. It's so important that we learn to see the grace of God and be grateful for it. The next G is giving, giving, a heart of giving. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, it was admirable of you to participate in my affliction. You remember, Philippians, at the beginning of my gospel journey, after I left Macedonia, no church offered me the financial assistance I needed to do the Lord's work, except you and you alone. Even when I took the message to Thessalonica, you sent provisions to me. You had a spirit of generosity. You guys got it. You supported me. He said twice even. Verse 17, not that I'm looking for a gift. I'm just looking toward your reward that comes from your gift. Like there's uh, results and rewards uh, from the generosity of God's people. That's an impact when we give. With what Epaphroditus delivered to me from your generous pockets, I have been blessed in excess. I'm fully satisfied. I know God is pleased with your dedication and accepts this gift as a fragrant offering, a holy sacrifice on his behalf. We're sacrificing to God. In the context of Paul's ministry, they're giving impacted and furthered the mission of the gospel to reach, transform more people and more lives across geography, culture, ethnicity, all kinds of barriers. This church was helping fund the mission of Jesus through Paul in a very difficult but very exciting time in history. And he's saying, thank you for your generosity. I'm grateful for your giving. I just want you guys to know that the mission of Whitewater has been furthered, has been uh, pushed beyond boundaries that we we never even thought possible. Even in this last year, year and a half in, in a, a pandemic, we've uh, been able to innovate. We've been able to reach people. We've been able to minister to people digitally, online, like in creative ways because of your giving and your support. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and our staff. Our, our leadership team, thank you for giving and supporting the ministry at Whitewater. And why do we give? Why does the church give? And why does, why does Paul encourage the church that's given? Because it, in, it impacts the world. The gospel, uh, 
the gospel work that goes forward, churches that are planted in faith and generosity, partnerships are forged, um, people are healed and reconciled and transformed. And generous giving pushes the mission of Jesus forward and it pushes the darkness back. And we join in the same mission that Paul and his friends were in 2,000 years ago, spread out in these, in these home churches across the Roman Empire. We're learning how to work together past our differences like Yudia and Sintik, if I'm pronouncing that right. These two who weren't getting along at this point. And Paul is reminding them, look what God has done. Don't forget the work of the kingdom. Partner together. It's so much bigger than your your personal differences. Agree uh, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that your family, let's work through this and partner the best we can together. And then the last part about giving is the impact on you. You know, if you, we know anything about giving is that generosity, personal giving means this. You're never more like God than when you give. As God is generous in giving gifts, so are we generous in giving gifts. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave. Because of the generosity of God, we are a giving people, not a greedy people. Giving protects us from greed. And that's one of the signs of the kingdom of God is a generous heart freed from the idolatry of money and greed. I want to encourage you um, to continue giving if you've been giving. If you haven't, I want to invite you to partner and support the, the work of the ministry here at Whitewater with your time, with your talent and your treasure. So the, the things that you're great at and the passions you have and your time, you know, give of that, you know, uh, generosity and giving isn't just money, but, but giving of money is also a huge aspect. So I want to invite you to join in the partnership here at Whitewater if you're not already. And, uh, and thank you for doing so. And here's the fourth G, glory. Not our glory, God's glory. Verse 19, Paul says, Know this, my God will also fill every need that you have according to his glorious riches in Jesus, the anointed one, our liberating king. Jesus is the liberator, the freer of the human soul. Then he says, So may our God and Father be glorified forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God. In this culture, that statement is seditious in a sense. He's saying the highest glory to God and not to Caesar, the one in power. Glory to God over your political party or any other allegiance or any other idol we might attach our heart to. Glory to God. Glory is to like lift up, to worship, to give praise. It's, it's about the allegiance of our heart, the highest allegiance, the highest aspirations of our hearts and turning them to God in worship and in glory. Um, I love the four G's because they all come together. When we see the grace of God, we have gratitude. Or when we're grateful, we are, can see and celebrate the grace of God even more. We see it more clearly. And when we have grace and we're grateful, then we have a heart of generosity, of giving. We want to give to the kingdom. We, we see the reason and the purpose behind it. And all of it, the grace, the gratitude, and the giving all go for the glory of God. Not your glory, not my glory, a glory we get to lift up in our God and King. Yudia and Sintik, a friend who's in conflict with another friend, 
a, a person from one political party fighting with another person from one group, one, one tribe that's different than another. Paul says to us today, I urge you to put aside your differences, brothers and sisters, agree and work together in the Lord. The left hand and the right hand always work best when they're working together. I want to encourage you to to use the four G's in your life when you're struggling with differences with people. Live with gratitude. Look for grace. Give of your time, talent, and treasure toward the mission of Jesus and do all this for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining a home church, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.